Well, this morning's message is entitled Connecting People to God, and it is the second message in our mini-series On Mission with the Gospel. On Mission with the Gospel. And this mini-series is designed to capture God's call upon us as a church to be connecting people to God, one another, and neighbor through Jesus Christ. That is our mission statement. Connecting people to God, one another, and neighbor through Jesus Christ. Last week, we heard about this in a message I preached entitled Connections from Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. There we heard that Christ is the head of the church, we are his body, and we are connected. He connects us first to God and then to one another and neighbor. If you've not heard that message, I urge you to go online, download it, listen to it. According to Ephesians 1, 4, 1 to 16, what Jesus, the head of the body, says to us as the church, it's not enough for us to be connected to God through Jesus Christ. It's not enough for us to be connected to one another through Jesus Christ. It's not enough for us to be connected to neighbor, our neighbor through Jesus Christ. No. Jesus calls every member to be a connector. As it says in Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, we are all to be gospel ministers whose ministry is connecting people to God, one another, and neighbor through Jesus Christ. The the word of the Lord, the key word for Palm Vista this year is connecting. Connecting is a transitive verb. A verb is an action word, connecting. But a transitive verb means it's a verb that needs an object to complete its meaning. Connecting, great. I'm connecting. Connecting what? Connecting who? Connecting people. Connecting people to God, one another, and neighbor surrounding world. The Bible is clear in its command for us to be connectors, to be connecting. There's a common word for that. Some people call it networking. Networking. We as a church are to be networking. We're to be connecting. I think of a network, a social connecting network that we're all familiar with. It's called Facebook. It's an online social networking service. Its name, as you may or may not know, comes from the colloquial term of the book given to students at the start of the academic year by some American university administrators to help them get to know one another. It's a Facebook. There's the face. There's the data about the person. In 2004, five really smart guys at Harvard got got together and they developed a digital Facebook and the rest is history. As of September 2012, the Wall Street Journal reported that there are over 1 billion active users on Facebook. 8.7% of them, by the way, are fake. So be careful. We are called to a far greater networking, a far greater connection. We are called to be connecting people to God, to one another, 
and to neighbor through Jesus Christ. And today, we talk about the most important connection of all, that to God. In order to help you understand this, we've prepared a very brief video. I want you to watch it. If we can turn all the lights off to include the cans here in the front before we show it so that people can see it. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much. If you can hit the cans and the spots, great. All the connections in this video were dependent on the one key connection with the wall socket. Just as all the connections in our mission statement are dependent on the one key connection with God. Without Him, there are no connections. Without Him, there is no power. The triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is the one who sovereignly connects us to himself through faith in Christ alone by his sovereign grace alone. Friends, if God's hand has connected you to himself through Jesus Christ, then that hand is sending you out to be connecting people to God through Jesus Christ. As it were, main power strip connected into the wall socket, and then our hands are connecting plugs into that power strip, connecting people who are sitting there as useless as an iMac, not connected into the wall, blank screen. But if it were connected, in that iMac has computing power and programs and things to help people, and once the connection's made, boom, the screen comes to life. That's what you're called to do, biblically. Understanding that it is only God who can connect us to himself through Christ. But if you have been connected, 
If God has so worked in you and brought you to life and animated your blank screen and giving you hope, then your work now is to be connecting others. See, Jesus doesn't just establish the basis and ongoing vitality of our connections. He doesn't just establish the power, the current, to make everything work in that picture so that the blender will blend instead of just sitting there with fruit unblended. But, but, he commands us in Matthew 28, 16 to 20, to be connecting people to God through his name. First point. The Great Commission. Matthew 28. Turn there, please. Verses 16 to 20. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. The Great Commission. We are to be connecting people to God through Jesus Christ. That is the Great Commission. Jesus gave us that commission. Jesus gave us the commandment to be connecting people to God through His name. And here it is. The Great Commission. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I'm so glad that's there. All right? I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. When they saw him, they worshipped him, comma, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, Jesus is with us as he was with them. He's fulfilled this promise. And Jesus gathers us as he gathered them that day on that hill outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus declares to us what he declared to his disciples that day in this text. And he said this, I have all authority in heaven and on earth to connect people to God. Therefore, you go and make disciples. In my name, disciples of me. Because why? Because the power to connect people to God is the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. The gospel message proper is the message of Jesus Christ. His life perfectly lived. His death died on a cross. His resurrection rose again and defeated sin and death. His ascension to the right hand of the Father, His exaltation, that is the power of God to connect people. A power greater than Facebook far more profound. There's the power of God to connect. And he puts, us, puts it in our mouths. Look at Romans 1, 16 to 17. Romans 1, 16 to 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to connect people to him. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Jesus connects us to God and then sends us out to connect people to God by making them his disciples. See where it says there, go therefore, back to Matthew 28, 
Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Jesus is saying, because all authority is mine, I'm the only one that can connect you to God, and I have connected you to God. Now you go and connect other people to God because I have the authority to do that. Go make them my disciples. Connect them to God in my name. Make them my disciples. Go! How do we make a disciple? What's a disciple? How do we connect people to God? Well, again, clearly, friends, it is Jesus who is the connector. But the message he puts in our mouths and he says, I connect them, you go tell them. See, we preach the gospel. We preach Jesus. That's how we connect people to God. And we call them to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And then we trust God, God the Holy Spirit, to take their dead hearts, like that iMac was dead without being plugged in to the wall, to take their dead hearts and bring it to life and open their blind eyes that they might see Jesus and unstop their deaf ears that they might hear the truth of the gospel and enlighten their darkened hearts that they might understand the message of Jesus, his redemptive acts. They might then trust God as God, the Holy Spirit, begins to show them their dreadful state, that they are rebels deserving his wrath. So that God might repent, excuse me, so they might repent and believe on Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's what it means here when Jesus says to them, go make disciples, baptizing them. Look at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. You only baptize those who repent and believe. We see that throughout Scripture. It's summarized in what the apostles and the evangelists and the disciples did in Acts. We just finished studying Acts for one year. How many times were men baptized because they had repented and believed in Jesus? That's what that means here in this text. You connect people to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We trust God to save them as evidenced by their profession of faith. And then we baptize them. We did that last week. We baptized 11 people and we heard them give a testimony of repenting of their sins and faith in Jesus Christ and trusting in God. They became disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. But friends, a follower of Jesus Christ is a more profound thing than simply following somebody on Facebook or Twitter. I think we've redefined that word downward a little bit. A follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple, doesn't just drop into someone else's Facebook account once a week. Hey, Lord, I'm here on Sunday. I'm dropping into your Facebook account. I'm going to hang out with you for a couple of hours. See you next week. Doesn't just kind of get his tweets every once in a while, his 140 character tweets. Oh, friends, if that's your idea of a follower of Jesus Christ, may I give you a biblical definition? And here it is. 
Look at verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Oh, friends. Jesus says this. If you are my disciple, if you have repented of your sins, confessed Jesus as Lord, professed him, believed in your heart, professed with your mouth, you've been baptized. If you are my disciple, then the next thing that we're to do to connect them to God, and it's an ongoing thing, Initial connection, Jesus does sovereignly, unilaterally. It's his work, we respond. But then we're to be connecting. Notice, be connecting. Is that we teach disciples, we teach ourselves to observe. Look at it again. Put your fingers on this word. Open your Bible and read it with me. Teaching them, verse 20. Teaching them. Teaching them. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Robbie and Tiffany Mansell, you are called to disciple your children and you teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. I just want to pause for a moment here. I just want to ask, are you a disciple? I'm not talking about dropping in on God's Facebook once a week and following him. Catching a few funny little quotes or some nice pictures. No, no, I'm talking about, are you a disciple? Have you repented and believed in Jesus? Have you been baptized? If not, I want to stop and just appeal to you. Thank you for being here. But, oh, friends, God calls you to obey him and come to him and worship him. Only Jesus can connect you. But what I just shared, the gospel... Jesus, life, death, resurrection, ascension. It's not complicated, but it's profound. I I appeal to you to repent and to believe and to cry out to God for his grace, to turn on your blank screen of your mind right now that it might come alive to God and open your ears right now that they might hear God, not my voice, but God's voice, and open your eyes that you might see Jesus. Uh, Yeah, I'm yelling because I'm passionate about it because I know that's the best way that I can love you. That's the best way I can bless you. Oh, friend, hear my voice. Hear God's voice. Repent, believe, And if you are a disciple, repent, believe. The same gospel we preach to ourselves as disciples, I preach to you every day. It's not just for the unbeliever. It's for the believer. It's the life of the believer. We live by faith and faith alone in Christ alone. That's what verse 20 says. Teaching them to to observe all that Christ has commanded us. So here's a question for you. What has Christ commanded us? What do we teach them, Al? Robbie and Tiffany are saying, great, Al. What do I teach them? What has Christ commanded me and you? Great question. Point two, the great commandment. Matthew 22, please turn there. 
verses 34 to 40. If the Great Commission is to go, I've connected you to God, says Jesus Christ. I have all authority to connect people to God. Now I'm sending you, having been connected to God, to go connect people to God. You preach the gospel to them. If they are not regenerated and say that they're dead, my elect I'll make alive. I'll give them life. They'll start following me. And you keep preaching the gospel by teaching the disciples to observe all that I have commanded you. What has Jesus commanded us? Matthew 22. 34 to 40. 22, 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Here's Jesus' commandment. Love God, love your neighbor. He gave it in response to a question from a lawyer designed to entrap him. How many of you know that lawyers are trained to ask hard questions designed to entrap people? But this lawyer was no match for Jesus. He took his question, a very difficult question. Here's the question. What's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? In the law, which one is the greatest? Now, briefly, to review the Bible 45 class on the Ten Commandments that I taught last week, And if you'd like more information about this, I urge you to log online and listen to it. The law is divided into the moral law, which we call the Ten Commandments. Always will be valid till Jesus comes back. Always, always, forever will be valid for every human that's ever, 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 ever been born. And the ceremonial law, which deals basically with the temple and the sacrifices and laws of cleanliness, which when Jesus came, he preceded it. He he fulfilled it. He superseded. He said, I've, I've fulfilled that now. That is no longer binding on us because Jesus is the new temple. Jesus is the once for all sacrifice. Jesus is where we meet with God. But that moral law, those Ten Commandments, that's what Jesus was thinking at this point. And so this lawyer is asking him, all right, Jesus, of the ten, which is your favorite? Which one's the greatest? Tough question. These ten laws were the foundation of the Jewish nation. Do not mess with the ten. Right? I mean, this was an entrapment. This would be like a parent being asked in front of his children, which is your favorite? It's an obvious trap for the discerning parent, especially if your children are listening. But see, Jesus' answer was brilliant. Look at verse 37. He summarized the law. Is what he said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That would be basically the first four commandments dealing with worship of God. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those are commandments five through ten. How do we love our neighbor? On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophet. The great commandment says it's really one commandment. They're intertwined. You cannot rip them apart. Wrong question. They come together. You break one, you've broken them all. 
If you say you love God and don't love your neighbor, you're a liar. You don't. Because how can you love God whom you do not see when you do not love your neighbor who you do see? And you can't really love your neighbor without loving God. If this relationship is not right, this one's going to have tons of conflicts. And all God's people said, amen. You got a conflict? Here's your main problem. You're somehow not loving God rightly. Not thinking about him rightly. So you can't pull them apart. Does violence to the fabric of Scripture. So the great commandment is what we are to teach disciples to observe. The great commandment is what a true disciple of Jesus Christ lives out. Why? Because we are somehow saved by the law? No! We were dead in our trespasses. Jesus is the hand that took us and plugged us into the wall. We were an inanimate object sitting on a desk. We might be beautiful. Some of you more beautiful than others. Beautiful IMAX screen, 27 inch, 48 inch, 50,000 inch. It is blank. It is dark until someone plugs that thing in the wall. And it's not going to plug itself in the wall. So do not think that you can save yourself. You cannot. That's not why we teach people to observe all that Jesus commanded. We believe we are saved through faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. But we teach, we teach disciples to observe everything that Jesus commanded because what he commanded, the great commandment, are the Ten Commandments, a summary of the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are beautiful because they reflect God's character and God's will to his creatures. Do you love God? then you love his law because his law is who he is. See, God's people, by definition, are the ones who obey God's will and reflect his character on earth. That's what it means to be the people of God. The moral law, the Ten Commandments, reflect God's character and will to us. And if one calls himself a Christian, a follower of Christ, one of his disciples, then by definition, one follows Christ's will and reflects Christ's character. That's the Ten Commandments. Because they reveal Christ's will and Christ's character. Friends, you were saved by God. You were called by God to be conformed to the image of Christ and to do his will. Look at Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, Romans 8, 28 and 29. Don't have it up there, do I? Well, that's bad on me. For we know, and you turn to it, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So let's slow down a second. The Bible says there in Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work for good to those who are called of God, those who love God. For those who are called according to his purpose. That's verse 28. What's God's purpose? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined. What did God predestine us to be? Those elect, those people that God chose from the foundations of the earth, those people that he predestined, those people, what is God's purpose for them? Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, here it is, to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many 
brothers. So God saved you to conform you to the image of Christ. And Christ's image is revealed in the great commandment because Jesus is the only one that loved God with all his heart, soul, and mind perfectly. Jesus is the only one who loved his neighbor as himself. So to be conformed to Jesus' image, we must observe his commandments. All Jesus is saying is, I'm God, I have all authority. You go baptize them, preach the gospel, I will save them. They repent and believe. And then you teach them to observe all that I command you. Because if they are Christians, Christ-like ones, they will act like I do. You want to know how I acted? Ten Commandments. So he expects us to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and love our neighbor as ourselves. The question then arises, what does loving God and our neighbor look like in everyday life? What does loving God and our neighbor look like in everyday life? Friends, this is the stuff of discipleship. This is what it means to be a disciple. Your life is conformed to living it the way you think, to living it the way God thinks, as revealed in the Ten Commandments. How do you love God? How do you love your neighbor? And this is where the moral law, this is where the Ten Commandments is so useful. They are a guide to us. They teach us how to image Christ. They teach us how to live as God's people, marked by love for God and love for neighbor. The Ten Commandments are what we teach Jesus' disciples to observe. The church for centuries has taught disciples to observe the Ten Commandments in obedience to the Great Commission, to what Jesus commanded. So we are to teach disciples to observe the Ten Commandments. It's what we're doing at Palm Vista, this class on the Ten Commandments, this Bible 45 class. We want to love God's law. Why? Because it reflects who God is and what he wants. If you love God, you love his law because his law is who he is. By the way, I really do urge you to listen to that Bible 45 class on the Ten Commandments so that you might learn the law. You might learn to love the law and observe the law because this is what a true disciple does according to the Great Commission. We are to study the law and learn it. Now, there's a great summary of the law that Robert Latham wrote in a great article in Table Talk magazine. Here's a summary of the law. The first four commandments relate to the worship of one living God. So the first four commandments relate to the worship of one living God. Commandment number one, have no other gods before me. So this worship of the one living God, in the image he has chosen, Jesus Christ. Commandment number two, you shall not take the name of the Lord your... Excuse me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. So we are to worship God, the one living God, first commandment. And we are to worship God in the image he has chosen, Jesus Christ. Back then, they weren't to bow down to carved images. Today, you are not to bow down to the image that you make of God in your heart. I'm cool. I can worship God by myself in my house. Five minutes before the Dolphins games comes on on Sunday. I just see God in nature. Oh, God's cool with me living with my girlfriend. He understands us. Friend, you're breaking the second commandment. You have created an image of God in your heart, and you are bowing your knee to it, 
And that is a craven image. Next, in sincerity, faith, and awe, third commandment, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Listen, that that commandment is far more than giving people dirty looks at work when they use God's name in vain. I mean, it includes that, but if that's all it is, doesn't it kind of cheapen that? See, I could take God's name in vain in my heart and never even have a word come out of my lips. You You know what that commandment says? You worship God with all sincerity, with faith and awe. Anything less is taking his name in vain. You maybe have never even uttered that word and think you're great because you didn't. And you may have God's name. You may have taken God's name in vain. The sound's coming in and out. Maybe it's just my ears, but something's, yeah. <laughs> Someone's got another microphone. Thank you. The rest of the commandments require appropriate respect for those in God-given authority. Mansell kids, that's commandment number five. Honor your father and mother. The preservation of life, commandment six, don't murder. And marriage, commandment seven, don't commit adultery. And property, respect for property, commandment eight, don't steal. And personal reputations. Commandment nine, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Besides contentment with God's gracious provisions, commandment 10, be content with what God has given you. See, the Ten Commandments show us what love toward God and our neighbor looked like. Far from abolishing the Ten Commandments, Jesus fulfilled and deepened each of them. He went to the heart. He went to the heart of the commandments, friends. Listen, he went to the heart of the first four commandments when he spoke to the rich young ruler. When he spoke to the rich young ruler, this guy had it all together. He was rich, he was young, he was a ruler. Even if he was ugly, he still had it all together. And not only that, this was a righteous dude. He asked Jesus how he might obtain eternal life, and Jesus told him if he wanted to have eternal life, he must keep the commandments to which the rich young ruler responded that he had in fact kept all the ones Jesus cited. Jesus then went straight to the heart of whom or what the rich young ruler really worshipped when he told him to sell all that he had, give it to the poor, and follow Jesus, and that if he did that, he would obtain treasure in heaven. Sadly, the rich young ruler turned and walked away. Why? Because Jesus went to the heart of what or whom this man truly worshipped and treasured, and it wasn't God. In his heart, he did not truly worship and treasure God. Loving God means worshiping him and treasuring him from the heart above everyone and everything else, above money, possessions, friends, family, success, comfort. Friends, we cannot fool God. Unlike everyone else, he knows our hearts, literally. And then Jesus deepened the commandment to love our neighbor in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew Matthew 5, with respect to one's neighbor, Jesus addressed not just our outward actions toward our neighbor, but our inward heart attitude toward our neighbor. So so loving one's neighbor goes beyond not murdering him outwardly, but to the inward sin of hating him rather than doing him good. 
So loving one's neighbor goes beyond the outward committing of adultery in marriage. Jesus says, no, no, I'm not going to talk about your inward heart of lusting in your heart for illicit intimacy with someone that's not your spouse. Or for all of us, any of us looking at illicit images on a computer screen or in a magazine or in our minds and desiring secretly wrong intimacy. Tells us to guard purity. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said that loving one's neighbor goes beyond simply the outward of not stealing his property, but rather the inward heart of generosity to be a giver, not a taker. So that even that we would work hard to be able to meet our neighbor's need. Loving one's neighbor goes beyond, Jesus said, outwardly guarding his reputation by not slandering him, but rather the inward desire of building him up and encouraging him. Loving one's neighbor goes beyond not coveting his possessions or his giftings or his business or his looks or his ministry or his relationships, but rather inwardly rejoicing with him from the heart for what God has given him and being thankful and content with what he has given us. Friends, the law is our guide. This is one of the uses of the law. Showing us the way to love God and our neighbor, but it has no power to enable us to follow the way it points out to us. It cannot empower us to obey. That is not what the law was designed to do. That's a wrong usage of the law. The law was designed to point the way, to be a guide, to teach the disciple how to live as Christ. But it was not designed to empower us to do so. No, rather, the law stands like a giant, full-length mirror. And this mirror does something your mirror at home cannot do. This mirror gives you a 360 view of yourself. This mirror is like an MRI. It doesn't just show you what you look like on the outside. It's a full body scan, a full soul scan. This, this is what the law does to us. It stands like this giant full length mirror looking in, looking out, reflecting back to us. Our image, an image badly in need of repair. An image broken by sin, rebellions to God, marred by gross self-love. We see ourselves in all our ugliness. We see ourselves attempting to move God out of the center of our lives lives, and placing ourselves there. Our needs, our wants, our will at the center of our shrinking, small, pathetic little worlds. Like a crazed man talking to himself in the mirror. We look at our reflection in God's law and exclaim with our words and our actions, maybe our thoughts, ha, love God and neighbor? No, thank you. I'm too busy loving myself. And then the next second, we fall to our knees as we come back into our senses and we throw our heads back and we cry out with the disciples who heard the exchange between Jesus and the rich young ruler and we cry out and we say, who then can be saved? In this account with the rich young ruler, the guy says, I I want to be saved on eternal life. And Jesus says, sell it all. Give it to the poor and follow me. And the guy walks away. Jesus says, oh, it's really hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples, listen, that rich young ruler is looking pretty good to them. 
Like if that guy can't get saved, he's rich, he's young, he's a ruler, he's godly. He actually told Jesus, I've completed all the ones that you mentioned, Jesus. He can't get saved. They threw their head back, church. Go read it later today in Matthew 19. They threw their heads back and they said, who then can be saved? And you might be silently crying out right now, wondering the very same thing. How can I truly love God and my neighbor if this is what it means, Al? Stop heaping bricks on my shoulder. Just tell me to be happy and Jesus will fulfill all my dreams and I'm going to heaven. Stop with this law talk. How can I observe all that Jesus committed? I see Al where it does say Jesus says we're supposed to make disciples by teaching them to observe all that he committed. But come on, man. That's got to be first century stuff. Can we sort of X that out through culture or I don't know? better exegesis or a new translation somewhere? If you are there, if you're in a place of desperation, if you're in a place of I can't do it, then the law has done its work and has brought you exactly to where it was intended to bring you, and that's to Christ. Believer or unbeliever, saved or unsaved, been a Christian three seconds, been a Christian three centuries. That's not possible. Three decades. I thought that one out a little better. <laughs> You've been a Christian three centuries. Come talk to me. Got a way to get our building fund going here. <laughs> listen, listen. That's the whole deal with the rich young ruler. He was the best. And he, he didn't understand what the law was supposed to do. You can't break a piece of that mirror off and use it to scrape the dirt off your face. It's not that it was intended for. It doesn't mean you throw the mirror away, which some people have done today. Most people have done today. Now we need the mirror. But it's, it leads us to Christ. The law is that which leads us to Christ. Our hope lies in Christ. Listen to Christ's answer to the disciples when they threw their head back and say, if that guy can't get saved, if that guy can't get into the kingdom of heaven, what they were saying is, what what hope do we have? Listen to his response on the screen. I do hope I put that one up there. Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus looked, yay. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And God's people say, yay, amen. Friends, Jesus did what we could not do. He obeyed all perfectly for us. Jesus transforms this mirror into a cross-shaped mirror. The law sends us to the cross of Christ. We're the only one who ever obeyed it perfectly. Hung, condemned. Listen carefully, unbeliever. Here comes the gospel. Listen. Open your ears. Oh God, plug them in. May the screens open. I want to see screens just come alive right now. He, he, Jesus, the only one that perfectly loved God with all of his heart, soul, and mind. The only one that perfectly loved his neighbor as himself. The only one that perfectly obeyed the Ten Commandments was the one on the cross who hung and died. Condemned to pay the penalty for our God-dishonoring, people-hating disobedience. His selfless love bore the wrath of God that our self-love deserved. His selfless love gives us the favor we can never earn. This is the gospel. 
This is the gospel. God plugged us into the wall socket of his power through Jesus Christ. And the screen comes alive and what we were intended for, what God created us for but was marred by sin, suddenly we could do. We do it haltingly. We do it as infants at first. We do it together as a church. But we grow in it. We worship God alone in the image that he chose, Jesus We take it seriously, and we're all, we don't just drop into his Facebook once a week. We live it together, and we love one another. This is the gospel. It's made possible by Jesus. The law leads us to him. True love. You want to know what true love is? 1 John 4, 10. Here's love, friend. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation. Big word. All it means is, it's, it's when you take wrath, someone has wrath against you, you propitiate it. You take it, you absorb it. He absorbed the wrath, He propitiated it, and then gave us the favor we did not deserve. Christ's love in action does the impossible. It transforms our wicked, selfish hearts. It redeems our broken, self-absorbed souls. It enlightens our blinded, self-loving minds to love God and love neighbor. This is why Jesus said, teach them to observe all I commanded you. This is the best way to live. This is the love that connected us to God and sends us out to connect people to God. It's the love of Jesus through Jesus Christ. Do you know this love? Again, dear, dear unbeliever, thank you for coming. Thank you. But this is the love that means everything. This is the way it's supposed to be. I pray you would know it today. And dear Christian, do you know this love? Are you a disciple? Does this love propel you out into a lifestyle? It should propel us out as a church into a lifestyle of connecting people to God. That's the appeal, brothers and sisters. We are to be a church filled with members who are connected to God through Jesus Christ and are busy connecting people to God through Jesus Christ. Motivated by the gospel, motivated by this love in 1 John 4.10, here are some possible ideas for connecting people to God through Jesus Christ. First, meditate on the gospel of Jesus Christ and learn to be grateful for His amazing grace. The gospel is for believers. It's for unbelievers. It's for everybody. Preach it to yourself every single day. Next, pray, pray. And I suggest Colossians 4, 2 to 6 there on the screen. I don't have the actual scripture, but basically the prayer from Paul is for this, an open door to share the gospel of Christ. Pray for that. Pray for it. Pray for clarity to know how to speak, for wisdom and how to live a wise living before a watching world and for words that are winsome and timely. Next, Learn how to use the Bible to disciple others. A great tool that I have found is David Helm's book, One to One. 
This is a wonderful tool. This little book teaches us how to use the big book, the book, the Bible, and to disciple our spouse, our children, our neighbors, someone at school, others in the church. You can do it. I promise you can. It's simple. God will show you. We're to be making disciples. Why? Because we're to be connecting people to God. Believer, unbeliever. Every day. Great tool. Next, invite friends and family to come and observe the life of God we share on Sundays and hear God's word. Then ask if they would like for you to explain what they just heard to them over lunch. It's a great way to be connecting people to God. Invite friends and family to see how we relate to one another in informal settings, like our church picnic coming up in a few weeks on October 13th. Invite them, or invite them to informal meetings. And finally, model what it looks like to live in God's kingdom with Jesus as your king. Oh, friends, we must believe and we must live the gospel. I'm going to close the the sermon with a benediction gone a little over the time, so we're not going to sing, but um, I, want you to, I want you to stand reverently and just look this way. It's a benediction. It's not a prayer. It's a benediction. And this comes from the Word of God. This comes actually from the book of Romans, chapter 15, and this is the blessing from God to you. You ready? This is God's Word. Receive God's blessing in Christ. May the God of hope, dear friends, fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is Christ with us, he's with us through the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen? Amen. Amen.